everybody. This is Rob Ryersey. And this is Vanessa Ryersey. And we are the hosts of the Fundamorphosis podcast. Welcome aboard. We are thrilled that you are on this journey with us. We started the Fundamorphosis podcast, and this is our second episode. We started this podcast to create another safe space for people to question what they believe, to ask questions, to express doubts, to be theological explorers. Um, So many churches and a lot of Christian culture discourages people from experimenting with their beliefs. We want to encourage you. We want to encourage you that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to undergo your own fundamorphosis, so to speak. We hope that as you listen in, you will feel like you are not alone. So what we what we want to do with the Fundamorphosis podcast each time that we get together is uh, Vanessa and I are going to start with an opening segment where we'll talk about kind of whatever's on our mind, and uh, that can come from the news or pop culture or, I mean, whatever we're going through and want to talk about. We'll then do an interview. Yeah, and this week we're going to be talking with Daryl Dow. He's a really interesting blogger who writes Stuff Fundies Like, and also he's started another blog called My Obama Year, and he's going to be talking about his experiment with um, being a more liberal on the left um, um, activist in politics. So he's kind of just exploring that and just um, taking off on the idea that... um, that maybe their presuppositions are, are good ones. And so he's, it's a great experiment. We had a good, chop, good talk with him. Yeah, he's a Republican who's living this year as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we, we're going to talk to Daryl about kind of the connection between when your theological beliefs change, how that impacts your political beliefs. That's kind of a, a big question these days. Um, and so Daryl's going to be sharing... Uh, with us his story of coming out of fundamentalism, but then also uh, talking about the experiment that he's doing now living this year as a Democrat, Mm -hmm. which some of our listeners, maybe they need to spend a year living as a Republican (laughs) as opposed to living as a Democrat. But that's that's Daryl's experiment, and it's really cool. You're going to like to hear about that. We will end the podcast with your questions. Uh, We've got some great ones that we're going to tackle today. Um, You can respond uh, and ask questions or comments, be a part of the conversation. To do so, you can email the show at fundamorphosis at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at fundamorphosis. Um, You can also join the community on Facebook, facebook.com slash fundamorphosis. Uh, you can post your questions there, uh, your feedback, your responses, tell your own stories. It's a great place to be involved in the conversation. And as you do that, we will do our best to work you into the conversation that we have each week on the Fundamorphosis podcast. Uh, all that being said, let's get to it. Yeah. We want to talk today in our opening segment about uh, something that is kind of in- been increasingly more troublesome to us. Uh, and maybe really to both of us, but Vanessa has kind of taken it on head first, uh, face first over the, I don't face first, face first, just diving in face first. <laughs> yes. Belly flopping on this thing. Yeah, that might be um, right. And that is what, what we've been, we've begun calling Facebook Christianity. Yeah. I don't think we coined that term. Uh, I don't, I don't, maybe we did. I don't know. But it's not one that's been used very commonly. No. Um, Vanessa, how would you describe what is Facebook Christianity? I think Facebook Christianity is 
when people use Facebook as a platform to spread their understanding of Christianity in ways that are not very thoughtful. They're sort of like bumper stickers, and they aren't very engaging. They're more of like a drive-by shooting. Um, so it, it, it bothers me. <laughs> So that's why we're going to talk about it. All right. Yeah. So Facebook Christianity, I mean, it's this, like, people, it, it, it's such an interesting, like, w- way of interacting with people on Facebook. S- reading statuses that are just, you know, thoughts without contexts, uh, trying to jump into someone's mind and understand what they're, you know, what they're thinking and what they're trying to express. You know, I've had plenty of times where I've said things on Facebook and, you know, people have responded that are just like completely not at all where I'm at and like completely misunderstood what I was saying. So it's, it's a real interesting way of interacting. And it really has become in a lot of ways the, like the primary way that people interact these days, mm-hmm. especially you know, people that aren't seeing one another face-to-face. And so it is fraught with, um, you know, the opportunity for people to misunderstand and to express themselves poorly, but it also kind of reveals kind of the underlying thing that's there. And so a lot of the people that we're friends with on Facebook, I mean, we're kind of, it's kind of across the board with all sorts of different people, but a lot of them, I think, and I've heard this expressed from others that, you know, Facebook is this place where, you know, people take to evangelizing, take to preaching. They think that that's the place where they can best express their faith. And it, and it often, it comes off feeling either really judgmental or really shallow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we've probably all seen the ones that say, you know, click like if you love Jesus and if you, if you, if you hate Jesus, keep scrolling. That's not, that's in the Bible. Yeah. Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, that you, that you like, like this, this Facebook status. Yeah. yeah, that's in there. It's, I, I think, you know, one of the big problems I think is, you know, some of these things get pervade. Um, I, I think, I think they think they're evangelizing, but Christians are the only ones who get him. And, the, and everybody else is kind of looking at him saying, uh, what, what, like, that's not gonna, that's not gonna change anybody's mind any more than clicking like on the ones that say, you know, their, their medical situations. And, you know, if this little girl with one arm gets enough likes, the doctors will make her a, a special prosthetic arm or something. It's, it, it, it's so folksy. It's so, um, it's so limited. It, it's, it's it bothers me so much. <laughs> so you blogged about it this last yeah, week, I, yeah. and, and that was interesting because. And your blog is happinessisabutterfly.blogspot.com, and or I think people could also get to it by just vintagebutterfly.com. I think that links yeah, to it as well. Um, and you blogged this week about some of your friends that had posted on Pinterest, and then it came to Facebook. A, a quote, uh, you know, a picture that kind of annoyed you about, like, you know, how we need to focus on being holy instead of happy. And that was, and, and you know, so that, that kind of started a, it sparked a conversation because you kind of 
called out some of your friends for this very thing. Yeah, and I mean, fortunately, like I really, I didn't want to. I mean, the people that I knew had, that had pinned this, and there were there were a handful of them. Like I, I know what they're like, and and I know that they're thoughtful Christians who are trying to interact well with the world. But I, maybe I was banking on the fact that they are mature people, and that that's why I could maybe go after it a little bit. Um, and we were able to have a long conversation about it, and there were several people involved from from several different backgrounds, and and, and I and it ended up being, I think, sort of a positive. I I, I hope. I mean. I, what I what I would hate is for people to feel censored. Um, that, that you know they're they're waiting for me to pounce on them as they as they post something about their faith. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's annoying. I don't want to be. No, that's what you should do. No, you need Facebook, your you know? spiritual gift needs to be cleaning up Facebook. <laughs> just telling people this is offensive. This is shallow. This is judgmental. You just need to. Yeah, that, that's uh, a spiritual gift. I, mean, I think that you just, ought to have. I think I, like I. Maybe I've come to think of myself as being bilingual. That like I can speak Christianese, but I also, I, but I can also speak with the rest of the planet. Um, that like you know people mm. from different different backgrounds and 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 you know agnostics and atheists and and you know pagans and you know hippie whatever whatever they are. Like I feel like <laughs> you just put hippie I in the same category myself. with agnostic well, atheists. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, I, <laughs> okay, so what if what would you want? Like how? Like what would you want? Like how? What would be better? What would be different if something could be changed? What would you want changed? Well, I think I think people I think people need to think truthfully about what they're accomplishing. You know, I like what the thing that I said in my blog post is that I think that a lot of times people are doing this because they're sort of bored with their faith. Mm-hmm. That like they want that that feeling of exhilaration when you like became a new believer and like it was all new to you and it was very exciting and you felt like you were part of something bigger than yourself and and um you know you know that it was that it was like that you know your first love. And I think what happens in a lot of um a lot of churches is that because it is this kind of closed system that like, okay, here's all the truth and this is the way it is. And you have to believe this, this set of things. And then once you learn that, then like all of the fun and the exploration is over. Like we talk about, like there's no chance for like exploring new ideas. So I think that, I think that people are a little bit bored. Like there's, there's no like challenge. And so they think, well, okay, this is how I'm going to, I'm going to go out and engage with the world by posting this stuff on Facebook. And what they don't realize is that like, it's it's not hitting the sweet spot of it, it's not like it's not connecting it, it it's 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 not it's not connecting well it's it's a it's a bad vehicle it's a really bad vehicle for communication yeah unless you're posting the picture of Jesus holding a baby dinosaur well, that's the only acceptable. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, what is the gospel of Jesus in the day and the baby dinosaur? I'm not, I'm not sure what exactly you're hoping to accomplish with that, but okay, whatever. It's awesome. That's what yeah, it is. Yes, um, it is. I, I'm always amazed by the difference between my Facebook page and, um, my, my Facebook feed and my Twitter feed. Uh, because it's like, and, and I've seen other people kind of comment about this, especially during political seasons. But for me, it seems like my Facebook, you know, news feed is all full of, you know, very right wing conservative stuff, 
and uh, and my my Twitter feed is full of all sorts of left wing liberal stuff, and it's just it's like two completely different worlds uh, that. You know, when you when you talk about being bilingual, I find that very interesting. It's a very very interesting idea that that I think it would be good for Christians to realize that like there are multiple realities out there. Mm-hmm. That there it's not like there is there are other ways of looking at the world. There's other ways of of understanding problems and addressing them, and that to assume that you know everyone's going to understand your you know, your clever little post or your, you know, your pithy picture, uh, you know, is just, you know, is maybe even a little bit arrogant. It's, I mean, it's kind of short-sighted and, you know, at at best and maybe arrogant at worst. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't like to, I don't, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to be mean. I don't, I don't, and I don't want to pick a fight and I wasn't trying to pick a fight when I wrote the blog post, but I, it does bother me that the Christians are talking so much and they're not listening mm. and they're answering questions that people are not asking. And so then like they wonder why the world thinks that they're foolish and then they take it as a badge of honor. Like, Oh, the world is against me. No, the world's not against you. <laughs> the world is annoying. No, you. You're being persecuted. <laughs> you're not yes. being persecuted. You're being annoying. Yes. It is. Um, it's a good thing that Facebook ha- does not have a dislike button. Cause then it would. Oh, my yeah, stars. yeah. So, okay. So anything else about Facebook Christianity? Those of you that are listeners, if you want to jump on our Facebook page and talk about Facebook oh, Christianity, boy. that's very meta right there. Yes. Uh, you can do that. Facebook.com slash fundamorphosis is the place to do it. If you think Vanessa is completely wrong, uh, please tell us. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A couple other things I wanted to talk about. Big, big news yesterday. Um, the first time in hundreds of years. 600. 600 years. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth is resigning. Um, I remember eight years ago when he was uh, when he was chosen as Pope. I mean, we're not Catholic; we don't have a Catholic background at all. But that was something that I mean, we sat by the TV and watched mm-hmm. as the white smoke went up from the Vatican and and followed that. It was such a historic thing, and to think that even though um, Pope Benedict is you know very old, he's you know in his in, in his mid eighties now. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think I expected that. You know, a mere eight years later, um, we would be going through this again. So it's very, very interesting. I don't know if. Do you have any thoughts? I, no, I, I, I think maybe just that. You know, it's it's one more um, maybe. It's one more like symptom of the fact that we are in a big shift, and that we're like that that things can things can be much different than we than we thought, mm-hmm. and that you know. There's there is this there's this major shift. Yeah, I think my hope, and again, I'm you know I'm I'm talking as as an outsider. I'm not I'm not Catholic, uh, but my hope would be that that whoever the new pope is will put the church on a on a path towards um, greater rele- relevance in the world. Um, that the new pope will um, take very seriously the. Um, you know the abuse allegations that have been you know kind of dogged the church for uh, a decade now and will address those things head on my hope is that the church will become more um more uh, open to uh, the service of women 
both as, as priests and in a variety of different ways. And so we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's going to, it's really interesting times. We are, we're living history. It's mm-hmm. really kind of cool. Yeah. So, and we, you know, we will bring this kind of excellent, insightful, spot on analysis as, uh, as things go forward in the, uh, the coming weeks, something that we actually know a lot more about, um, is something else I wanted to mention. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we got, you know, got news this week that, um, the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism, um, also known as ABWE, the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism, it's a mission agency that we are familiar with in our in our fundamentalist days. It was really kind of the the go to mission agency of you know our former denomination. Um, it was the the mission agency that you know that was most cutting edge, you know, in, in those circles, most media savvy. And, you know, they, my grandfather worked for a, a, when he was alive, worked, was a vice president at a rival mission agency, Baptist Mid Missions. But ABWE was always kind of that agency that, that you look to and thought, man, you know, in, in these fundamentalist circles, they're the ones that are doing it right. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years ago, news broke about allegations of child abuse that was taking place. Uh, in Bangladesh on the mission field, a missionary doctor by the name of Don Ketchum was abusing children and uh, using his position as a doctor to do that. And um, it, it's this terrible, horrible story. Uh, uh, the, the victims of Don Ketchum were, uh, started a blog because they could not get anyone at, at ABWE to, to respond to them, to answer um, their concerns and their questions because ABWE sent Don Ketchum home and uh, never reported what he had done to any authorities in, in Michigan where he, he still lives. He began practicing again his medicine in, in Michigan, and, uh, and, and they really, in a lot of ways, kind of just swept things under the rug. Um, a couple years ago, the, MK, the Bangladesh MK Missionary Kid blog uh, kind of took off. And, uh, and ABWE was forced to respond. Uh, we've gone through a number of leadership changes as a result. Um, the president of ABWE, Michael Loftus, ended up resigning. And ABWE hired uh, GRACE, uh, which is an organization that um, investigates these kinds of things. They've just been hired by Bob Jones University to investigate things at, at, at BJU. Uh, they also did some investigations for new tribes uh, with their when their allegations with new tribes missions. So this is a, a well respected agency that um, that the the victims of Don Ketchum had had asked ABWE to hire. And news came out this week that uh, just a few weeks before the final report was to be issued, ABWE has fired Grace yeah. and uh, and. It's just and now the MKs are back to kind of square one, like waiting for justice, waiting for waiting for answers, waiting for waiting for some kind of closure and and for things to be dealt with appropriately. And it, and it looked like as I was reading down through like the response that Grace gave back on on the the problems that AB, ABWE had with them, like they they were able to give it seemed to me some pretty clear rebuttals to to ABWE's problems. It. I feel like in some ways this is another communication problem of Christians who are who have become so removed from the rest of the world that they they don't understand 
how egregious this is. And we've talked about this at times privately where it seems like, you know, ABWA is, is playing by the rules that that we grew up with, those unspoken fundamentalist rules that, like, we need to keep this quiet, We you know, this is going to hurt the gospel, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And it, and, it, and they're not playing by the rules. The rest of the world is looking in and saying, you got to deal with this swiftly, appropriately, with with action, with, without like trying to hide or cover or or slow this down in any way. Like it means you need justice. Yeah. You need justice, and and we live within we live under the culture of a government that we're supposed to be submissive to. Yeah, it's I mean it's a really complicated thing. I like I, I have a lot of thoughts about it. I mean one of the things that that I always think about is in in the book Freakonomics. The guys that write Freakonomics they talk about um, uh, cheating in. Um, sumo wrestling in Japan, mm-hmm. and 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 cheating is rampant in in sumo wrestling in Japan, but it's all kind of kept under under wraps because there's this culture of honor that they're protecting, and so because they have this culture of honor and respect that everyone thinks that everything is okay and everything is above board, when in fact like the perception of this like you know such an honorable sport is actually that that perception enables that cheating to be so rampant. Yeah. It's the same thing that happened at, at Penn State yeah. with Jerry Sandusky. Joe Paterno had built Penn State to be this model football program. He was, you know, St. Joe, you know, he he was unquestionably, you know, the the you know the 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 most pure football coach there was and that that facade of purity enabled his longtime defensive coordinator to get away with abuse and i i see the same thing here with abwe it's this it's this uh, this perception of we've got to do everything we can to keep the gospel moving forward and protect the 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 reputation of the gospel and oh by the way abwe uh, that we like that that facade enables a an, an abuser to get away with it yeah. because, mm-hmm. because if, if you bring that out into the light, it will, it will do damage to the cause of the gospel. And, and, and it's this, and in my opinion, it's this false understanding of what the gospel yeah. actually is yeah. that you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be honest. You've got to be broken and messy. And it's from that, yeah. that the gospel actually springs. Right. And so, and, and I got to tell you the other thing that, and I don't, you know, we don't know, you know, any of the details of what's happened with Grace and with ABWE. This was something that was really off my radar for, you know, a year or two now. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been a while since I was really kind of following this stuff closely. Um, and so, you know, we don't know what the details are, but there's that that sense of the victims of uh, of Don Ketchum are, are once again feeling like. They're being marginalized. Yeah. They're being ignored. Their stories don't matter. And that is so heartbreaking yeah. to me. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just feel like no matter what the details are, the big picture is these people have been harmed. Yeah. They have been harmed. And ABWE needs to do whatever it takes as quickly and as effectively as possible to deal with that, to admit that, to to aid in their healing. And and I just don't know 
Yeah. How, and, how, like, halting this investigation and starting all over yeah, again. Yeah, and a couple of years ago, they did. They, I mean, they came out with very strong statements, and then they backtracked and pulled all of those from their websites. And so it's like this it's like this culture that the perception is that they're covering something up and they're hiding something. They're not willing to be vulnerable and be honest. And, and I'll tell you, I'm so conflicted talking about this because, you know, one of the, the prime leaders at, at ABWE is a guy named Tony Beckett that we love. Yeah. I mean, Tony, Tony, yeah. well, Tony was our pastor yeah. uh, for when we were in college and, and, and I, and I would have thought, you know, when all of this broke, if anybody could shepherd ABWE through this, effectively and and bring the kind of justice and reconciliation that's necessary tony can and it just it, it and i don't know i i mean Maybe tony that's I, too much pressure i don't know yeah i mean it's, it's just it's, it's more than just one guy it's i mean it's more than just tony it's it's i mean who knows who knows what is happening but 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 it's it really is deeply troubling to us I mean, I, I'm just very grieved by it. And, I mean, it's, you know, this, this is an issue that, this, this is not an isolated story. This mm-hmm. is a story that we heard over and over and over again with different characters in different settings. And, it, I mean, it was happening in the Catholic Church and, and you know, so many Protestants and in and, and our strike yeah. were, were happy to point the finger and say, oh, it's, you know, look at their problems, look at their problems. And and in the exact same horrific things were happening in our churches too. Yeah, we're we're, yeah. we're definitely not. Hmm. Well, we you know we pray for God's grace for the uh, the the victims of of Don Ketchum, and and for ABWE. Yeah. That uh, oh boy, what a what a tragedy. Well, we are going to shift gears from yeah, that. that to, <laughs> let's make a happy transition, <sighs> and uh, in just a moment, we're going to talk with Daryl Dow. are here with our second ever Fundamorphosis uh, podcast guest, and that guest is Daryl Dow. He is the, uh, uh, the the founder of the website Stuff Fundies Like, and uh, in the last couple of weeks, he's also launched a new website called My Obama Year, and, uh, and Daryl's a really interesting guy with a very interesting story, and we are excited about talking to him tonight. So, Daryl, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. Um, Daryl, as we get started, why don't you um, tell us your story? Tell us about, um, you know, um, well, <laughs> kind of what, where you started uh, and, uh, and kind of I where guess, you uh, are it, now. It uh, depends on how much time you have, really, but uh, I was, um, I was uh, born into a, a fundamentalist Baptist family. I grew up on the mission field, um, had a fundamentalist pastor for a dad, a fundamentalist pastor for a grandfather. And uh, spent uh, spent a lot of years in that um, in that church in that movement. Um, a lot of people don't really know what that means. Uh, they tend to think of uh, fundamental Baptists as being just as much breed of evangelical, but it's uh, kind of more intense, uh, kind of more intense experience than that. No, so um, I, I, I'm always somewhat amused by evangelicals who show up and, and kind of you know say, "Oh, you're being horrible to these you know these people." I'm sure they're not as bad as you make them out to be. Like, well, yeah, they, they kind of are. 
Um, and and I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. I've known some very good and decent people, you know, who happen to be uh, in, in the fundamentalist movement for one reason or another. But uh, it's it's a, a movement that has definitely some issues. So uh, once I graduated from college, I I went to work at a small uh, fundamentalist church. I got very involved in a lot of things. And uh, over time, I just started to open my eyes to the fact that a lot of things were not right. Uh, a lot of things that were going on, they were not um, in line with Christ himself and Christ's teachings. And so um, started to move away from that. And in the process, started writing down a few things, a few humorous things, a few memories about, uh, you know, my time in fundamentalism. And suddenly this community sprang up around uh, the blog. Um, and just uh, some great conversations started with people who realized suddenly that they're not alone. That there's other people out there who are also in the same situation. And uh, so it's just been uh, it's just been one big adventure since then. Um, the blog has uh, has kind of taken off, at least you know in a in a small way, but in a in a big way given how large fundamentalism is, um, or how small it is. Uh, it's a pretty pretty good percentage of uh, fundamental Baptists now read uh, stuff on his like at least on a, a semi regular basis. Huh. So um, it's uh, it's kind of become a, 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 pl- a meeting place, a discussion place, and uh, so taking from that, I've gone ahead and launched uh, the new project that you mentioned, uh, my Obama year, just to try to uh, to tell a slightly larger story, uh, yeah. hopefully with a slightly larger audience of people. Yeah. So um, it's it's been interesting, it's been very exciting, and I've met a lot of great people along the way, such as uh, yourself. What I'm curious, I want to ask you about um, leaving fundamentalism before we jump into talking about you know, your new project, uh-huh. um, is there, I mean, you, you talked about how kind of coming to a realization that uh, you were going to, you were going to leave and you're going to change. I'm curious, um, one, I'm curious about, like, it, was there, was there, what was the tipping point for you? What was the thing that, that pushed you over the edge when you realized that you needed to leave what you had always grown up with? And what, was there something that, that pushed you over the edge with that? You know, I I, I, I kind of use the illustration when people ask me that question, as they do from time to time. Um, my my personal decision-making process is never extremely speedy. <laughs> uh, I tend to be very change-averse as a person. I tend to like things the same way. I think it's just my, you know, my New England genes or something. Um, but uh, the the I, I, I tend to transition a little bit more of, of the speed of continental drift more than, uh, you know, any sort of uh, sudden revelation. Uh, I think that, that what it was – was really just the the dawning realization that um, if these folks are right, if they're so much like Jesus, then why are they so mean all the time? It was just the the meanness that finally I think was the thing that really got to me, and, and just the way that the the reality of the world that I saw around me that started to go out in the world and meet people and hear their stories and interact with them, and all of a sudden all the things I've been told about how these people are the world. You know, whoever they are, um, it just it didn't make sense. It didn't line up. Um, these are not these are not horrible people. A lot of them were a lot more kind to me, um, you know, than people that I'd known growing up in church were. Uh, my my secular employers were better bosses, uh, cared more about me as an individual than you know my Christian employers had. So it was just some of those types of things that really didn't start to make sense. And so it wasn't so much a you know, sitting down at sort of this uh, this Martin Luther moment, you know, where I open up the you know the Gospels and all of a sudden things start jumping out at me or whatever. It wasn't like that. It was it was more the fact that the narrative just didn't fit. You know, we're we're so holy, we're so righteous, we're so much like Jesus, except for the fact that we're nothing like him. And you know, all of a sudden it didn't make sense anymore. 
Absolutely, and that's um, you know that's something that you know Vanessa and I have you know have have kind of faced and talked about in our own story. Um, I, I want to ask you a question that Brian McLaren wants to ask me. Um, how about your wife? Um, you know, has she kind of moved in this process along with you, or you know, what what's that been like for for you guys in, in your marriage relationship? Right. Um, well, you know, obviously, I don't I don't want to speak too deeply for her. <laughs> she can speak for herself, but uh, the um, basically um, we we've moved together for the most part, simply given the fact that she, the background that she grew up in was not nearly as uh, as intense a background as I did. Um, she, she grew up in what some might term a fundy light church. Um, well, they definitely had rules and standards and things like that, but it wasn't quite the same way. And her family life and background were very different than mine. So um, there wasn't, in some ways, as big a transition from some things uh, as there was for me. And, and you know, as we go along, we've, we've talked about things and we've, you know, kind of hashed things out a little bit. But I, there hasn't really been any time where it's like, oh, no, you know, you're going off and, you know, further than I am. Uh, we've, we've pretty much been on the same page, and especially as, uh, you know, for the last few years, we've been kind of between churches and and so on. Um, there hasn't really been a lot of those issues kind of come up because, well, we've just, <laughs> just been kind of avoiding them. So uh, I guess that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, I have a question for you, Daryl. Sure. What about your parents? I mean, mm-hmm. I understand the background that you came from because I, I mean, I've, visited Bob Jones University a couple of times, and that was my school background, and so I'm real familiar with the kind of fundamentalism that you're talking about. That was definitely my experience, too, and so I'm I'm curious about what that was like for your parents, for you to move this direction. It's not just that you're not going to a fundamentalist kind of church anymore, but you actually have this blog, and you're talking about it. I'm curious about how that how that relationship is affected. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, we're cordial. Um, you know, I, I love, I love both my parents very much. Um, my, my father was never, um, in anybody's camp per se. Uh, he always tended to be a bit of a, of a maverick, if you can imagine that. But, but because we were missionaries, because yeah. we were missionaries, it, it worked out because we weren't, you know, we weren't in the churches all the time. We were kind of out there doing our own thing. So um, he, you know, he for years just said things like, you know, door knocking, soul winning doesn't work. He's not a high pressure guy. He doesn't like come down front invitations every service. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of those kind of funny dogma, you know, things. He's never been on board with. That, that, that is to say, not to say that he's not, you know, very much a, an independent fundamental Baptist, but uh, I, we still talk. I mean, you know, we still talk about things. We talk about church things. Um, he's very disappointed in the uh, the scandals that have broken recently and a lot of the just the really hard things he's seen his kids uh, go through, you know, going to these colleges and things that he didn't really know were going on until, you know, somebody from his family was there. Yeah. Um, so uh, my mom and dad got divorced a couple of years ago. So that since that time, my dad, you know, is no longer a pastor. Um, so uh, it's just, um, you know, there's not as much pressure on, on any of our family members to have to be one thing or another right now, which I think it's helped. Yeah, I think you're right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, so much of the the stuff on these like blog is like hilarious. Stuff. You post videos and and things that are just just so funny, especially for those of us that grew up in in fundamentalism. I know, like folks at our church now, like they don't. I, I don't know if they fully appreciate kind of like what Vanessa and I grew up in, and so much of what you post on stuff on these like is exactly the kind of stuff we grew up in, the kind of stuff we experienced and we did. 
and it like it's like it, it one time, at one point it's like hilarious, another point it's like heartbreaking. Um, so I, I'm curious, like, do you have like one, like, do you have a like a funny memory of your own of like is you know something that stands out as you look back on like like fundamentals and like something that happened that you just kind of shake your head at like, oh man, <laughs> I wish there was a YouTube video of this that I would put this on my blog. Yeah, there. I mean, there there have been there have been moments over time when I you know I wish I had and I the good thing is is that I'm still friends with some of the people who were there you know during some of those experiences so we can at least you know reassure each other that that really did happen. Um, there was a uh, there was a missionary um, who was on deputation. Uh, and you know what that word means, but other people may not. This is where you kind of run around the country going to churches and trying to raise money uh, so that you can go be a missionary overseas. Since there's not a, a big mission board that supports everybody, everybody's kind of on their own to raise their own funds. So um, there was a missionary who was uh, – he was teaching a teen class at, at our mission board, uh, no less. And uh, for some reason, somebody got the bright idea to give this guy uh, the teen class. And uh, so he – he had been from some kind of background where he believed that um, that he had started playing Dungeons and Dragons. He believed that this was a, a gateway straight to Satan. Um, he was telling us about all the spells he used to do and all the things that used to happen to him. And, and then he basically told us that any time you create an alternate reality, whether that's fictional books, whether that's movies, playing Monopoly, uh, basically you're inviting Satan into your life because um, you're – you're deviating from the actual reality that God created, and therefore, um, you know, that's a problem. And and then, uh, you know, so we just kind of sat there and just looked at I mean, because my mom is an author. My mom writes fiction, um, at least she has for years. So, so you know, it, and, and we always love reading when we were growing up. So we're looking at this guy like, you know, what, what where, where are you getting off of this stuff, you know? Where, where is this coming from? Um, come to find out the the rest of the story there, um, just, just recently I, I followed up and, you know, whatever, whatever happened to that guy? So I looked him up and I found out that he can come to find out he had a, he had a whole bunch of medical issues that were causing him to hallucinate and do different things. And so all of this stuff he was seeing, he was translating right into like, oh, this is, you know, obviously the work of Satan when it turns out that he just, you know, he was ill. Um, but apparently the, the folks there didn't have enough discernment to kind of go, you know, dude, you need to get checked out. You know, <laughs> you're seeing stuff. Maybe you should go to a doctor, right? Uh, they just kind of accepted it for, for what it was, what he was saying it was. And, and he's, uh, as far as I know, still a missionary now. So uh, that's, yeah. But that, that kind of thing is, um, you know, they're, they're those kinds of stories, you know, could go on and on and on. But uh, I'm sure they take far more time than we have here. Oh, man, that is that's great. That is that's great. Well, listen. We, let us one, let's ask. We want to talk about your current project. One of the sure. things. One of the things that we've noticed in our own lives and in the lives of you know people that we know is that when you begin to question your theological beliefs, you begin to to go through you know a, a fundamorphosis to coin a, a word. Uh, when you begin to to be transformed in your beliefs about God and church. Um, what often happens is that, like dominoes falling, many of your political beliefs end up changing too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and so, you know, that's something that Vanessa and I have kind of experienced and taken some flack for, um, and you know, from you know everybody on Facebook and everywhere else, it seems like. Um, but so you have you have begun what you're calling my Obama year, and it's your year of essentially living as a Democrat. So mm-hmm. tell us about about your project, and then um, I'm curious if, like, what, what the, how you would connect the dots between that and, 
you know, the, the theological and, and, and church changes that you've made in your life as well? Um, well, it's, it's kind of a, a little different story for me than it is for a lot of folks. I think that for a lot of people, especially those who come from a, a real, you know, staunch uh, Republican and, uh, you know, fundamentalist Christian background, um, some of it, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to use the word reactionary, but when you have the same source who basically speaks all the truth in your life, um, you know, the pastor not only informs your theology, but also all of your politics. When the theology starts to crumble, then immediately you start saying, wait a second, maybe all the rest of this stuff isn't true either. Um, I, I never, I never really went through that. Uh, even leaving fundamentalism, I still, you know, was, uh, pretty staunch Republican, uh, you know, believing in some of those types of things, uh, you know, free markets, all that, you know, uh, kind of stuff. The belief that uh, that Republicans, you know, were the ones who were standing up for all the, the right issues, you know, abortion, whatever. Um, so, but what what's happened to me is more along the lines of a change in my theology in uh, kind of thinking to myself what, who Jesus was, what he was here to do. Uh, what he was here to teach us about, which is, you know, to, to love God, to, to love your neighbor. And then looking on, on Facebook and social media sites during the election cycle and just seeing people who claim to be Christians on both sides, just, I mean, just lighting up the, the airwaves with just, I mean, vitriol. I mean, it's just the, they're just the end of this point where you can't even have a conversation anymore. You can't sit down and say, hey, we disagree, but we can talk. Uh-huh. Even talking, even listening is considered to be an act of, of treason somehow, you know, even if you just sit down and let somebody else have a point of view. So uh, I, I basically, you know, as I as I was just watching all of this, I, I took a trip over to uh, Sri Lanka um, with, with a great uh, organization there, and I was had a chance to sit down with a bunch of folks who are, you know, very much politically to the left of me and just talk through things in a, in a sort of reasonable adult fashion. It was different. It was nice. It was kind of neat to not have people say, oh, well, you know, we're going to make all these assumptions about you. We're going to let you be a person and let you, you know, and we're going to talk through some of these things. And so I kind of thought to myself, um, you know, why can't we do this? Why can't we be cordial? Why can't we be civil, at least, in and acknowledge that, you know, just because people differ doesn't make them evil. Um, just because, you know, so Basically, I took all of that and I threw it together, you know, in my head. I let it, I let it marinate for a while, and then uh, I, I said, you know, well, if you want, you know, want other people to change, if you want other people to listen, then the best thing that I can do is to start listening to myself. And the the best way that I could think of to do that was to put myself in the shoes of people. So I I changed my voter registration. I started reading um, the books uh, that President Obama has written. I read uh, his two books. I've I've started to read other things. I've started to have conversations with people. And I started to say, look, I'm going to just set aside all the presuppositions, and I'm going to just make some assumptions that you're trying to do good things here. And you know, I'm going to look at it from that perspective. And, and it gives me the freedom to say, hey, I don't always line up with the Republican Party on everything anyway. So this is great. This gives me permission now to start talking about some of those places where, you know, I, I've, I've parted ways with them. And so, yeah, I, a lot of people kind of, they're, they're like, so what are you going to do? They, they don't really, you know, they're like, okay, so you're a Democrat. What does that mean, you know, to you? And, and basically what it means is that I'm purposely choosing to change my assumptions about the way that the world works. Instead of looking at, at programs, at projects, at things the president's doing and saying, oh, that's terrible, just because he's doing it. Um, I'm going to say, okay, he's, you know, a smart guy surrounded by smart people. 
Maybe there's something to this. What's the good that we can find in this situation? And just trying to to say, okay, can I challenge some of my old thinking? And in doing so, can I challenge the thinking of some people from my own party um, to start a dialogue, to, to start talking? Because, you know, we're so so polarized right now. We can't even – I mean, you know, the government's in a deadlock. People are, are just, you know, they're losing friends. We're, we're unfriending people on Facebook. We're not talking to people. I mean, I've heard stories of, of folks who, you know, they don't even go to each other's houses anymore because one person voted for the wrong candidate. This is madness. And I, and I don't think, especially as Christians, we we should be behaving that way towards people. So I, I'm going to basically put myself out there as the, you know, as the Judas goat, and uh, we'll just let, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and and very you know very convenient of you to do this in a non-election year too. So I I uh, well you know that is not necessarily unintentional. Um, but the uh, the the fact is is that I wanted to let the you know it, it was really the the last election cycle was what finally gave me the impetus to go ahead and do this. Um, you know, so it, it's not by accident that this happens at the end of an election cycle. But uh, I, I think that. Perhaps now that, you know, we've elected a president, we've got a Congress, that maybe people can, you know, tone it back a bit. You know, they don't have to feel like they're saving the world because there's no election to argue about right now. Uh-huh. And maybe we could look at the issues with a little bit more reasonable, you know, uh, reasonable and thoughtful approach. So I don't know. Perhaps I'm dreaming. Maybe we can't, but I'm going to try. What uh, what kind of reaction have you gotten from people so far? Have people understood what you're trying to do? I mean, what what's the reaction been? Um, it, it's been varied. Uh, most of my, uh, my my conservative friends are like, well, be careful because once you start studying, you know, the the Democrat side, you're likely to become one of them, like it's an infection or something. I know, you probably had this, like, you know, back in our fundamentalist days, whenever someone would be preaching or doing like a Sunday school class on like pulps there was right. like oh we need to pray for them so that they don't they're exposing themselves to error you know mm-hmm. need to, yeah so you probably have had some friends like that you know you're yeah we'll, we'll pray for you while you do this right yeah I, i've had some people who say it's a great idea i could never do it um that's that's been a pretty common one um i you know it's a great idea to look at the other side um i've had some people who completely don't um understand at all they they say things like um well, you know, I'm so glad you're finally seeing the light and leaving those, you know, fill in your expletive here, Republicans behind, you know, and I'm like, well, that's not quite what I'm going for here. Um, you know, that's that's that the whole understanding and empathy thing apparently didn't get through um, to those individuals. And then the, the last reaction that I get is uh, it's just one of uh, deep suspicion. Uh, they think that there's some kind of a trick that somehow, um, you know, I'm going to just just pretend I'm going to pantomime uh, being a progressive. And that really, I'm just there to, to, you know, to undermine the entire uh, philosophical base or whatever. I don't know what they think I'm going to do. Me, my one person with a blog, I, you know, I think they way overestimate my ability to, uh, to affect change in the world. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that, that's kind of the last one. So uh, the whole spectrum, whole spectrum of uh, reactions there. It's been very interesting. People can react however they want as long as they show up and read. I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have them. Stick around. Talk, talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. What is what is, has there been anything that you've learned so far? Any any revelations that you've had that uh, that have kind of surprised you? Um, I I was actually kind of surprised with how much I personally uh, like President Obama uh, after listening to his two books. Huh. I I actually um, because I you know you tend to dehumanize people who you don't agree with, 
At least that's how we do it in our in our current thing. So, you know, it's that, that Democrat, that socialist, whatever, you know, you're going to call him. Um, so once I started actually, you know, hearing his story and, and how he grew up and things, I mean, we actually, he and I have a lot in common. You know, we both grew up outside the country, you know, it's just a lot of things there. It's like, oh, okay, I kind of get it, you know. And so when I kind of see sometimes how how he presents himself or, you know, some of the things that he says about the way the world works, it's like, okay, I kind of see where he's coming from. Um, you know, so it, it was kind of different just on a very personal level. I think he, you know, like, like a lot of people, um, that you may not agree with, I still think it would be fascinating to sit down and have dinner with them. You know, I mean, Bill Clinton has been on my top, you know, five list of people I'd love to sit down and have dinner with forever. Just yeah. because I think he's a fascinating human being. He's, he's a very, very good communicator and, and just a very interesting guy. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of that that's kind of come out that I didn't really expect. You know, I expected, oh, we're going to have a philosophical discussion here, but I didn't really expect the humanity of it. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's really something about, um, and this is, you know, part of like leaving fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is built on like the us versus them mentality, and sure. and, and so is politics. And so, mm-hmm. like, kind of being able to break out of that, like us versus them, I've got to win, I've got to be right. Right. Seeing people as people and and appreciating where they're coming from and not assuming the worst motives like uh, about them like that's a really really important thing it's something that like that our culture and the church would you know would do really well to rediscover right sure so i i'm wondering about some of the the very popular hot button issues like gay marriage and abortion are you are you going to talk about those things are you going to try to tackle any of that Oh, I, I I already jumped into the whole same-sex marriage uh, debate. I was one of my first posts where I was like, "Yeah, I figured if we're going to do this thing, let's just do it." You know, yeah. so uh, I, I already I already kind of I already did a post about that. Um, you know, and just to give you a feel for you know what it's about. I, basically, my title I post is "I'm not worried." Why are you? Um, so I mean, it's, uh, you know, uh, so uh, it's just. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely gonna. We can't we can't do this honestly unless we're willing to go ahead and face down some of the hard topics. So. Um, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. I, I have uh, on my list already some people I, I want to interview, some, some folks I want to talk to. I want to, you know, go out into the community and kind of have these conversations with people, people that I know um, from, you know, recent years and years gone by. Uh, so, yeah, there's a whole, there are a whole lot of uh, conversations to be had and uh, we're definitely going to, going to approach them. I mean, we have a whole year to fill up with content here, so we're going to do it. There's a lot to say. Yeah. Hey, Daryl, um, one of the things that Vanessa and I have been talking about is, like, what, what Vanessa has called Facebook Christianity. Um, <laughs> what do you think the role of, like, Facebook and Twitter has been in the in the inability of, of Christians especially to be kind uh, to those, you know, who may disagree with them politically? I, I think that it's very there's a, there's a couple of things that go into it. Uh, social media tends to to distance and depersonalize um, us from other people, so it's very easy for me to get on. Um, and this is even even more true on you know some internet forums and things like that, um, where uh, you you get on there and you're willing to say things to people that you would never say to them face to face. At least you would one would hope that you wouldn't. Um, you know, you, I wouldn't sit down with people that I actually know like over a cup of coffee and, and you know start showing them a series of photos of their favorite president, you know, in, in, you know, with captions on them. I wouldn't do that to somebody, you know, like, look at this, you know, Um, it just would be 
highly inappropriate for me to do that, and yet we that's what basically what a lot of people do. They, they, they're very willing to be antagonistic, to be petty. Um, and, and so that, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that it's, it's very, there's very um, little effort that goes into um, some, of these, some of these arguments, basically. I mean, you can copy and paste from your, whatever your favorite pundit is. You can you know, post an image. You can, you can just uh, retweet somebody. Yeah, just whatever. I mean, there's, there's almost no effort involved in forming an argument. Right. So it, it it basically takes all of the discussion down to the lowest common denominator of, you know, if you imagine uh, uh, two two politicians having a debate by reaching into a bucket and just, you know, just hurling pieces of paper at each other, that's basically what we've gotten down to. I mean, these bumper stickers, you know, bumper sticker slogans is about as much thought as we give things anymore. So I I think a lot of people don't realize the nuance that goes on, you know, some of the deeper issues. And that's one of the, the real things that I want to be able to do with this blog is to say, hey, look. You know, there's a whole lot more to this issue than perhaps we've thought about, and let's give it a chance to, you know, at least have the discussion about it. Is it, I mean, is it worth trying to have discussions on Facebook? I mean, is it, is it just too limited immediate, or, or is there, like, is it worth trying to, to use Facebook to resume Facebook as a, as it's, a group of people? It is and it isn't. You know, I mean, you really have to to count the cost before you do it, and and I think that there's there's another backlash. There's sort of a, or at least there there is a backlash to that to that phenomenon, which is that people just you know completely become apolitical, even though they are very political. They in public they become apolitical. You know, oh, I don't have any opinions on politics because they don't want to upset anybody. You know, so now we just now we just basically gone to the other way. Where instead of you know hurling insults, we're just not talking at all, which I think is almost as bad, because now. Suddenly, we're not sure, you know, where we stand with people or what. You know, there's no exchange of ideas at all. So is it worth it on Facebook? I, I You know, that, that's that's a personal decision that people have to come to on their own. I, I I tend to not be very political in my personal posting, but that's more because um, up until now, I've had a very different focus in my, you know, my public dialogue than, than politics. I've stayed away from politics intentionally for the most part, other than, you know, perhaps a few forums or something like that. But uh, you know, I don't generally fill up my Twitter feed and my, my Facebook page with politics until just the you know the last election cycle or so uh, in preparation for all this. So, yeah, Daryl, let's uh, let me ask you maybe two final questions as we sure. wind down. Um, the, the first one is this, and, and these are questions that we're asking all of our guests. Uh, uh, the first one is this: if you could say something to our listeners, the person who's out there who um, is thinking about making a, a change in their, their church life, is is trying to explore new things theologically, or, or is trying to – is undergoing some kind of transformation in their politics, and they, they feel like they're in the midst of that. What would you – what would you say to them? What advice would you give them? What would be – what would be the thing that you would want to offer to someone who's – Who's in the midst of some kind of theological or political transformation? I guess I mean that's yeah, it's an extremely broad question. I understand that you know that's on purpose. Um, I, I suppose it, it depends on what at what point in the transformation they they are. Uh, if a person is 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 questioning you know the very very fundamental tenets of the faith as far as their existence in God and, and things like that. Um, then, then my answer might be slightly different than you know if they're so no, I still you know believe in God, I believe in Jesus, you know is 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 
the Son of God and so on, but I'm just not sure about the rest of it. Um, but not, either way, I mean, the, the thing that I come down to is the, the, the two greatest commandments in the law, um, love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor. Um, and then the way we do that is basically through the person of Jesus Christ. So that, that is what I focus on. I, I try to tell people who are struggling with their faith, don't let Christians get in the way of Christ. Um, Christ exists. He is, he is who he is. And because people misrepresent him and people, you know, do things in his name, um, doesn't make, doesn't change him, um, as a person, as a man, as, as, a, as an, ex- our great example. So that's, that's the thing. And then based on that, the love for, um, God is also the love for our neighbor. You can't love your brother. You know, if you can't love your brother who you've seen, then how can you say you love God who you haven't seen? So it, basically that's, that's the litmus test right there is our love for people. Um, and so I, I, I basically say, you know, you need to find where, where that is. And if you're, you know, in a Christian group where the love isn't there, then God probably isn't there either because, you know, God is love. And, and if he's there, you know, if you're re- he's really being exalted, then you'll love each other. And that's, that's the hallmark. So yeah. that's, that's basically what I've got. Yeah, that's great. One final question for you. Um, and this is another kind of broad one that was kind of open-ended. Um, is there anything like so we've talked about kind of you know some where you've been and kind of where you're at now any sense of like what the future holds for you any any new theological questions that you're pondering and like what are the what are the big things that are on your mind now that, you know what are the questions you're asking right now that you don't have the answers to yet um you know, it's a lot of the things that, that I've been dealing with um, just very recently, well, very recently, I say in the last 10 years, um, have been just the same sort of things over and over again. I mean, you know, when, you're, uh, when your spouse is, is chronically ill, when, you, you know, your finances are in trouble because of that, when you, you face uh, just over and over and over again the same things, uh, basically the question is, you know, where – where is God when it hurts kind of thing? Um, also, um, is, is it worth it, what I'm doing now? You know, is, is this all just some kind of cosmic joke um, that, you know, there really is no point to it? Because it's very easy to start listening to those types of things when you're, you know, kind of down and life's just kicking the snot out of you. I mean, it's just, you know, that it, it hurts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things that, uh, the things that I, I, I've tried to take away from that are it's become very clear to me that in the last few years that uh, the Christian life and life in general, uh, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, is not meant to be lived by yourself. Um, I've been, I've been without a serious community, um, you know, without family, without a church, without, you know, a lot of those types of things um, in any, in any large way uh, for some years now, just based on, you know, where my jobs have been and so on. So there's been a lot of those types of questions that go on about, you know, what does it mean to be in a community of people um, how do you trust people after you've been around so many horrible ones? Um, how do you go about finding, you know, folks that you can connect with and, and really share the love of God with without, you know, just being uh, opening yourself up to getting uh, just hurt yeah. over and over again, which is a, a very difficult one, especially when you come from a background where that sort of thing is rampant. Yeah. So um, there's just a whole bunch of stuff, but that's, that's a, those are probably the big ones right now for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big. Yeah, those are the big ones. Daryl, thank you so much. Uh, let me just let everybody know where you can find Daryl. Um, you can find him at stufffundieslife.com uh, and also myobamayear.com. 
and uh, you can also find it. What's your What's your Twitter handle, Daryl? Um, you can You can follow me personally at, at Daryl Dow. It's D A R R E L L. The letter C and then D O W. My last name. So uh, at Daryl C Dow. If you follow me there, you can pretty much find all the other stuff I'm tweeting. Fantastic, Daryl. Thank you so much for talking with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Keep up the good work. All right. Thank you both. Okay, we're back, and uh, really interesting conversation with Daryl. Isn't he an interesting guy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is the uh, the feedback segment of the Fundamorphosis podcast where we respond to your questions and take your comments. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can email us at fundamorphosis at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at fundamorphosis, or you can join the community on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash fundamorphosis. You can ask your questions, have your comments, share your stories there, and we will do our best to make sure you're a part of the conversation. Our first question comes from uh, our friend Adam, and Adam asks... If you could settle any Christian schism, what would it be? Which divisive issue would you most like to go away or would you? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Very good question, Adam. You get a gold star. Um, now, this is this is an inter- interesting one because I personally, I like, and I I blogged about this recently. Uh, I think that disagreement is actually a Christian virtue because disagreement um, forces us to be vulnerable, which allows for us to have real, authentic relationships. And that if we all agree, uh, if there's uniformity, um, that, that that's a that's a, a a false or a or a sorry substitute for finding unity in the midst of disagreement. And so I don't I don't know that theological disagreement is a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a a good thing. I love the fact that at Vintage Fellowship, we have our our church community, that we've got people with all sorts of different beliefs and backgrounds. And and it's not about all of us agreeing all of the time. That's not what our unity comes from. Our unity comes from the fact that we're trying to follow Jesus. And and when we when we substitute uniformity for unity, it it keeps us from actually being unified by Jesus. I mean, the fact of the matter is, like we we like each other at Vintage, but if it weren't for Jesus, like this group of people would not get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's 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 what our a shame that would be. I know <laughs> it's a good thing we've got Jesus. It's true. So there's um there's the ability to find unity in the midst of 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 disagreement, which I think is a really good and healthy thing. Now that being said, there certainly are some problems we would love for you know to go away. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I mean, I think, um, I think it's, I, I, I value things that are effective. And so if you come up against um, a conflict in the church, it, it, I think it's good to find an effective answer for it so that you can move forward. And I think that we are at a point in history where there are some questions we are going to have to answer effectively before we can go anywhere or do anything. And, and you know, as long as those questions remain unanswered, we're going to be stuck in different camps and we're having a hard time listening to one another and moving forward, which that bothers me. 
Yeah. Should I talk about what those issues are? Or do you want you, to keep going? No, if you want to, go for it. Well, I think one of the biggest things right now is I think we're going to have to figure out how how the Bible is going to be used in our lives. I mean, we were, you know, even even in the blog post that I that I wrote before. Um, I had, you know, somebody come out swinging with 14 Bible references that they wanted to shoot at me. And, you know, like I... I, (laughs) It's such an effective means of communication to just proof text Bible verses. But it, but it, but some people, that's the way they understand things is if they have a Bible verse that they can use, like that's, you can't argue with that. It's in the Bible. And I So what I'm, what I'm hearing you say that if, you know, if... If there's something that you would most like to go away, you would most like the Bible to go away? No. <laughs> no, I, I think that's what you said. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> Are you trying to hang me out to dry? No, I think I think it's I think what I what I'd most like to see go away is the um the belief that the way that I understand the Bible or the way that my church teaches the Bible is the only right way. Hmm. We've got to start having some humility. And we saw that in the news story about the, the girl from um, Fred Phelps. Yeah, from Westboro. From Westboro. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one of the things that she, like, that was one of the things that made it the big difference for her was realizing, like, hey, maybe this little church that I'm from is not the only one that's right. Yeah. What a, what an amazing transformation that can bring about. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's, there's a number of things that, uh, you know, would be... That would be high on my list. I, I think, you know, I would love, you know, the full and equal participation of women in the in the life and leadership of the church. Um, you know, I would love for the church, uh, all churches everywhere to embrace that. Um, I think the other thing that I would think that I would most like to see go away from church life is the church's obsession with politics. Oh, goodness. I think that... Well, that would clean up Facebook, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would kill two birds with one stone there. <laughs> yeah, I think the church's obsession with politics and thinking that that um, that politics is the is the means by which to, to bring about transformation, to bring about change, that politics is the way... Well, I mean, there's a, there's a presuppositional thing of people wanting to preserve a culture that they're comfortable with, um, and politics is the means to do that. I mean, there's the... There's the presupposition of, you know, is that really why we're here? Is that the purpose of culture? Is that the purpose of our lives, you know, to be comfortable? Um, but they wouldn't say that they're being comfortable. It's, it's they're, they're fighting for the side of right. Right. Uh, yeah, the right that they're comfortable with. But it's, yeah, but but I think, like, the, the politi- politicalization of the church, both on the right and on the left. Yeah. Um, I'm not just picking on Pat Robertson and you know and and Ralph Reed here i think like i i see it as much on the left That's as well true. that that the that the church has to be involved in politics i think i think if if there was one thing that i would would love to see banished is is this this belief in the church that politics is the way that political solutions are the way to bring about transformation and to bring about change so Maybe we could learn something from our Quaker brothers and sisters. Mm, maybe we could. If uh, if Vintage Fellowship ever dies, which would be a tragic and horrible thing, um, Vanessa has decided that we are going to be Quakers. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I think about that. Yeah, well, that's that's only my latest one because I think before it that used I was to be that be, we were we were, were going to be Anglican. Yes, we're was, gonna, I just read the Mitford series of books about Father Tim, so so it could change. And our next question comes from. I'm just going to leave that alone. I don't want to be Father Tim. Anyway, um, our next question comes from Chris, and Chris asks. Is there any hope for the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church? We are going to tread lightly here oh. because we are not Lutheran. Yeah. And I mean, our in ba- our background is not Lutheran. Um, our background is Baptist. Uh, and what Chris is referring to, uh, it, it, he's referencing the story um, that took place in the wake of the tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut, when there was a, a Lutheran pastor named Rob Morris. Uh, he's the pastor at Christ the King Lutheran Church in Newtown. Um, he participated in a an interfaith um, prayer service uh, that was attended by the president and, and many others. And, and he participated in that service and prayed at that service, uh, which, as it turned out, was a violation of the, uh, the beliefs of the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, uh, that you can't participate in a worship gathering with um, with. People, interfaith. People of other faiths, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so Rob has, uh, Rob Morris, the, the pastor at Christ the King Lutheran Church in Newtown, has since apologized. And um, uh, I wouldn't quite say recanted because uh, he still defended his position as wanting to participate in that knot. And in, in, he wasn't thinking of it in terms of worship. He was thinking of it in terms of as being a, a, a chaplain in his community. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think where, where Chris is coming from and asking this question is saying, you know, how can, you know, a church that a denomination that's going to, you know, censor one of its pastors for, for trying to serve in the midst of a tragedy like this. And, and it happened before, uh, it happened after nine 11, there was a, a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor who participated in, uh, in a service that was held at Yankee Stadium, who was who was reprimanded for that, and so I think it's you know it's a difficult thing. We don't have a lot of experience with Missouri Synod, um, but we do have experience with churches that refuse to be a part of anything any other churches are doing. Um, you know, it Separatists. was yeah, yeah. We I mean, we grew up in a separatist denomination or er, uh, association of churches. We weren't even supposed to call ourselves a denomination, uh, and so like we we grew up with that kind of separatism where you separate from people who don't believe what what they're supposed to. And and I guess what's troubling to me, and you know, I mean, we we grew up with that. But I I think what's troubling to me is the the elevation of like this this idea of purity above like compassion and humanity yeah. that it, it's the elevation of like our idea or our belief above like the common good mm-hmm. and here in the midst of like the in the midst of like parents burying their kindergartners that's not the time and the place to you know, to to to, to champion to, your yeah. your your denomination's code and their 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 um their truth. Uh, yeah, I mean, there. I I think maybe it's in, introducing that idea that there really are 
greater evils. Hmm. That there, I mean, I know we talk about how there's no, there's no degrees in sin, but like that, that's on the, that's on the God scale, but there's no degrees in skin, in <laughs> sin, <laughs> no degrees in, in sin. <laughs> no. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> like on the human on the human side of things, there are some sins that are just bigger sins than others. They're just a little bit more egregious. And I, you know, like I was listening to a story um, on the Moth podcast yesterday, and it was a girl who um, she was a she was a flight attendant, and she was talking about how seriously she takes this this role of, of comforting and caring for people. And so she's on a flight. And, um, she, you know, it, obviously customer service is important to her. And so she wants all of her, all of her, um, people to be happy on the flight, but she has a man who has a heart attack and he's having a heart attack in the aisle and they have the paddles of the defibrillator on the man's chest and they are trying to keep this man alive in the middle of a flight. And a woman keeps tapping this attendant on her back saying, excuse me, excuse me while she's in the middle. And she says, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the woman's like, you know, keeps, excuse me, excuse me. And finally she turns around because she's trying to take seriously this customer service, this, this code of this truth, this standard that she's trying to live up to. And she turns around from this man that she is trying to save his life. And the woman holds up her coffee cup and says, my coffee's cold. <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah. that is a, such a great example of like, hello, yeah. There are greater things going on so here. So is there hope for the Missouri Synod Lutheran yeah, Church? Yeah, there is. And I think I think the reason that there's hope is because there are people that are probably within the Missouri Synod that are saying, hello. Yeah. Chris is the hope. Yeah. Chris and people like Chris, uh, they're the ones that are the hope to bring, to bring change. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to, uh, to our podcast episode two is in the books and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.